Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW. Thank you for checking out this week's Health Connect South radio show. Another show focused on healthcare technologies. We sat down with the folks from Intent Solutions and Infant Labs. And as it happens, Lou Malice happens to be the CEO of both of these companies. He joined us to talk about their new innovative technologies that are addressing a couple of different needs. One of them, Intent Solutions, is related to the pharma industry and is able to have a bio-identified device that's about the size of a cellular smartphone that is able to be loaded with prescription medications that will identify the user by their fingerprint and only allow them to access the medications inside, giving them feedback and alerts that it's time to take their medication, for example, by texts and so forth that's flowing to their regular mobile device. And it also sends the information about their behaviors as to whether or not they're being compliant with the recommended regimen back to the prescribing agencies. And in fact, they've focused their early work with this device on the pharmaceutical research research industry where compliance with the specified regimen for a particular medicine they're testing is extremely important. The device is about the size of a smartphone, in fact, has a chamber where the medication's pills or tablets are securely stored and they are dispensed robotically by the device in the prescribed amount, obviously facilitating greater compliance with the tested medicine regimen in their study. And the folks at Infant Labs have developed a monitoring device that interfaces between the nipple and the bottle they use to feed neonatal intensive care unit patients who are at risk for failure to thrive due to lack of calories or insufficient calories to help them grow and develop based on the ineffective sucking strength and motion that many of these babies have. The monitor gives a visual representation of the strength and pattern of the baby's sucking motion so that they can either slow or stop the feeding and let the baby catch up, clear the liquid out of their mouth, preventing pneumonia, which frequently adds a number of days and great expense to the patient's stay in the neonatal intensive care unit. Here's Lou Malice talking about these two healthcare technology projects he's working with, Intent Solutions and Infant Labs. Check it out. I'm a 30-year veteran of medical devices all here in the Atlanta area. The most recent, I worked with EndoChoice, the GI company out of Alpharetta. I was the chief operating officer there from 2008 to 2014. Big growth years. Went from employee number four to 450 and EndoChoice went public back in June. I wanted an opportunity to go back to my, my roots, which is startups. And so for about the last year and a half, I've been working with these two companies, Intent Solutions and Infant Labs, on bringing the products to market. I actually met Tommy Cunningham from Infant Labs when I was sitting on a panel. And after the panel discussion, he came up and told me what he was working on. And I wanted to be involved in really leading edge technology products in medical devices. And he was working on an Internet of Things product, niche market, baby-related. It looked really interesting to me. So I, that, that one was, uh, was, was easy to, 
to take on and with the Intent Solutions product wrapped around more pharma and delivery of drugs, this product was one where I happened to have a, have a friend that, that worked there and he asked me to come on and sit on the board and then later asked me to take over as CEO. We tried to design the product so it would be elegant, easy to carry, wouldn't be obtrusive when you're carrying it around, but also it has to fit into the workflow of the pharmacy. So yeah, half of the device is a new type of vial, and that vial can be filled by the pharma company or by the, the pharmacist. And then the other half is the electronics and the delivery device. Stick around to learn more about these innovative healthcare technologies with Lou Malice, Sam Zamaripa, and Tommy Cunningham coming up next. And good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Health Connect South Radio Show, episode 38, joined in studio by Alrighty. Diana Keo. 38 episodes. Unbelievable. That's Diana Keogh of Sherwick Media Group, your digital media and print media solutions company that can help you tell your story, share some healthcare information. and All around great people. That's right. I've seen a lot of their work. They've worked with a lot of large projects, including some of the guests who've been on our shows uh, over time. And, and so uh, certainly want to go over and check them out at sharewick.com. That's S-H-A-R-E-W-I-K.com. Get some great information. There's some video there that you can see a little bit more example of what they, what they do there and how they help companies tell their stories. Today we have some technology companies in the studio with us. A couple of different directions tied together by one of our guest here, Lou Malice, with us in the studio. Thanks for taking some time, Lou. Morning, CW. And then, of course, we have Sam Zamaripa, the Director of Strategy and Finance for Intent Solutions. So Good morning, CW. Pleased to have you here. And then, of course, flying in with a hot landing, we have Tommy Cunningham, co-founder and CFO of Infant. Good morning. Thanks for taking some time. So, Lou, let's start with you and kind of introduce us to our companies here. We were going to talk a little bit about Intent Solutions, but let's get into your background. How did you get to this place here where you're working with both of these technology companies? What what led you here? CW, I'm a 30-year veteran of medical devices all here in the Atlanta area. The most recent, I worked with EndoChoice, the GI company out of Alpharetta. I was the chief operating officer there from 2008 to 2014, big growth years. Went from employee number four to 450, and EndoChoice went public back in June. I wanted an opportunity to go back to my, my roots, which is startups. And so for about the last year and a half, I've been working with these two companies, Intent Solutions and Infant Labs, on bringing the products to market. I actually met Tommy Cunningham from Infant Labs when I was sitting on a panel. And after the panel discussion, he came up and told me what he was working on. And I wanted to be involved in really leading edge technology products in medical devices. And he was working on an Internet of Things product, niche market, baby related. It looked really interesting to me. So I, that, that one was, uh, was, was easy to to take on. And with the Intent Solutions product wrapped around more pharma and delivery of drugs, this product was one where I happened to have a, have a friend that, that worked there and he asked me to come on and sit on the board and then later asked me to take over as CEO. As we were sitting around talking about the Intent Solutions solution. We talked about who it's aimed at in its early going now as you're coming up with this product that, from what I understand, is looking at the, the photos on the website. It's a device that is able to contain, kind of in a way, it almost replaces the pill bottle, contains the medications inside of it, sort of looks like a smartphone in its design, and contains the medication is able to dispense those according to the schedule that's prescribed in the dose that's prescribed. So if there's one or two or three of them supposed to be dispensed, it'll do that for you. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, yeah. You're you're right. And uh, we tried to design the product so it would be elegant, easy to carry, 
wouldn't be obtrusive when you're carrying it around, but also it has to fit into the workflow of the pharmacy. So yeah, half of the device is a new type of vial, and that vial can be filled by the pharma company or by the, the pharmacist. And then the other half is the electronics and the delivery device. You know, you think of the innovations in the way people have taken medications. You know, for a few hundred years, a glass vial and then later a plastic vial worked, right. and it worked just fine. All driven by this idea that people should take their medications as they're directed. The problem is people do not take their medications as directed. We are a technology solution for that. And we are to taking your medications what Fitbit is to your exercise. So we are an innovation. We provide uh, a very small, elegant device, as Lou said, that will dispense the right medication at the right time to the right person. Well, I think it might be worth going back a little bit and talk about how this was founded, like how the idea actually yeah, even that's started. That's what I was curious about is so, what inspired I mean, that? talk a little bit about where this idea came from and, and a little bit about the founder. Yeah, the device today, by the way, is called TAD, and that's an acronym for Take As Directed. Um, but the original founding of the company came from one of our directors who had a personal experience with prescription addiction. He had been in an, in an accident, had injured his hip, and became uh, addicted, unfortunately, to um, prescription narcotics, to Oxycontin. He came away from that addiction, convinced that there was a better way to manage those pills, and he thought if he could devise, uh, design a device that would dis dispense the medications at the right time to the right person, that that would re reduce the probability of someone becoming addicted. We worked on that concept uh, for almost a year and a half, and are, we're convinced that that, uh, that, that uh, market exists for us in the future, but today we're focused on a, a little bit different market. Mm -hmm. And that's what we were talking about before we went on the air today, that you've decided that in this early phase, as you're really honing out the device and really perfecting it all the way out, that you're aiming it in that research space where maybe the drug in question is a single medication. That That's right. It cost about $1.5 billion to bring a new medication to market. Think about it that way. And uh, a part of that expense is in just testing the drug in an FDA trial. And uh, our technology is very, very suitable for that trial period, whether it's a phase one, phase two, or phase three trial because we can improve the rate at which people take their medications. We can improve their adherence. When you do that, you get better data, you get better outcomes, and you get better science. So uh, one of our initial markets will be what is called the clinical trial market for testing new medications. Well, talk to me a little bit about how, how can you improve that adherence? Yeah, uh, a part of it is that we, we the device, uh, we haven't explained that very well, but the device connects to any smart device. So in the, in the case of you having a prescription three times a day, say at 9, 2, and 7, our device will connect to your smartphone and say, hey, Diane, it's time to take your medications. So it acts as a reminder. And then as soon as you put your finger, your, your ID on the device, it will dispense the medication. Getting the medication in someone's hand is about 90% of the issue. We know from research that if you can get a pill in someone's hand, the probability that they will take it is is accelerated. So we improve adherence by reminding people, by giving them uh, the, the medication at the time it was prescribed, and by measuring that they took it. So our data system is collected each and every time the medication is dispensed. And so in the case of a, of a clinical trial, if you were managing that trial, let's say there's 100 people in the trial, you would know if 100 people actually accessed their medication at the time it was prescribed. Yeah, because you can actually determine whether the pill comes out of the bottle, but you can't necessarily 
predict or even know if I actually took the pill. Can you? That's that's right. You cannot predict that. And and with a with a vial, you can take the pill out of a vial. But in our case, we're actually measuring that you dispensed it to yourself. So we know that some action has been taken. You've put your finger on the device. It has dispensed a pill. And we think there's a correlation between that behavior and adherence. The other thing that I thought was interesting, because I have actually seen the prototype and um, got to play with it a little bit, is that it's not if if it is actually Sam's pill bottle, Diana can't put her finger in there and get the pill, which I also think is interesting. Mm -hmm. And is there any other data collected when you put your finger in? Are you taking pulse? Are you taking heart rate? Anything else? No, the device is 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 capable of taking uh, measuring temperature and humidity and things of that sort. Uh, and I think I suspect in later iterations we'll have more advanced uh, features. But today it's simply able to recognize the fingerprint of the person who has the prescription and will also recognize the fingerprint of someone who does not, and it transmits that data. So why did you guys decide to do, as opposed to the addiction market or the opiate market, why did you decide to go into clinical trials? Was it just an, you know, talk to me a little bit about that I'll let, I'll let Lou comment on that one. Yeah, well, so we looked at the um, these addiction markets, and primarily they're controlled by third-party payers. And anytime you have a third-party payer, you have the issue of trying to convince them to spend the money for someone else's benefit. So we looked at marketplaces where the benefactor and the payer were the same. And so that was an, an, kind of an easy transition for us to look at, at, at clinical trials and other areas where those, uh, those two desires meet. Interesting. And Sam, you know, a little bit before we went on the air, you made some mention of your background. I'd love to hear, how, how does a nice guy like you get involved in, in something like this? What's your background? Um, I have spent uh, more than 30 years, like Loop, pretty much in the finance side of, of developmental companies, startup companies. I have had a variety of private equity firms. I worked for Franklin Templeton's private equity firm uh, in Washington. And um, I've always been in the side of financing startups. And so when I was approached by Intent Solutions to, um, to look at this company, I thought, you know, I like this idea. I like the social value of it. I like the technology. I like the innovative nature of it. And I liked the team. So I joined, uh, I took a, I stepped away from my own practice and joined the company full time. Interesting. And you also have a little bit of a political background as well. Kind of tell the listeners about that. Uh, I served in the state Senate for multiple terms here in Atlanta and was involved primarily in tax policy and in economic development um, and retired uh, to return to my private life, which I think is a good idea for all politicians. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a whole nother show, isn't it? <laughs> We've been talking with Lou Malice, Sam Zamaritha, and soon Tommy Cunningham, talking about the technology uh, the solutions that they're offering, and more recently been focused on Intent Solutions, which is a, a device that is a smart device. It's capable of identifying the user by fingerprint, um, and then dispensing a medication and, and doing so with some measure of reminders to let you know, hey, it's time to take this medication as it's been directed, uh, keeping you on track hopefully inspiring you to be more close to what was intended to be done with this medication, uh, therefore optimizing the outcomes for, for utilizing it. And then obviously, as Sam was describing, that ultimately may be able to help thwart the, the tendency towards narcotic per, uh, prescription addiction by being able to moderate how it's dispensed so that it's, yeah. it's according to the actual prescription. Let me say just one, much. one more thing about this. That is that you cannot... If you don't take your medicines, you don't get the benefit. 
And that's a statement that was made by C. Everett Koop, the former, former uh, Surgeon General of the United States. And the, the idea of improving adherence is one of the most important challenges in front of medicine. Because we can spend billions of dollars developing great medications around the most serious diseases. But if people don't take those medications, they don't get the benefit. So we're in the business of improving adherence. And our slogan is advancing take as directed. I'm kind of curious to see if in the end, when you start having this extra layer of data about, say, CW is a participant in a given trial, and uh, maybe I don't access the device as directed. You know what I'm saying? It's Mm -hmm. reminding me, but I don't, maybe I'm off by a few hours, that kind of thing. Maybe my schedule adherence, even though it's reminding me, it starts telling on me, right? It's, it's, (laughs) It's ratting me out that I'm not actually staying on course. When I've got a pill bottle that I'm taking my medication from, the the researchers, I assume, you know, particularly if the bottle comes back empty roughly around the time it's supposed to, then they have to assume that I took it, they took it as that's, directed, that's right. right? So I'm kind of curious what that extra layer of data will do. Will it begin to disqualify poor, poor adherence yeah. users yeah, from the study because they would be a confounder, right? Their Their outcome would be skewed. Because they didn't take it correctly. I'm kind of it's just one of yeah. those things as we're talking about. I think that it might be an interesting thing that develops out of that kind of data that we haven't had up to this point. Yeah. So as the as the data is collected from on the smart device, and then uh, it is pushed to cloud database, mm-hmm. and so the people that running are running these trials, generally clinical research organizations, they can now drill down inside the data. They can look at individuals' behaviors, which they could never see before. Right. And now they can also look at site behavior. So um, they, they run clinical trials in more than one site, and they can now compare sites and, it, as to adherence levels and uh, make decisions as to where they want to push more of their, uh, their, their trial and seek out more patients. And I suppose, obviously, that lets you get proactive as well to be able to course correct, hey, CW, you're part of this trial. We've got, and we noticed that you haven't been taking it, so perhaps being able to add one more layer of interaction with them to maybe encourage that correct use. Yeah. There's another market that we're also looking at, which is, a again, a self-payer market, and it's in specialty pharma. Uh, there's a lot of pharmaceuticals now that are very high-priced. Uh, if you look at the new uh, hep C drugs, uh, it's oh, yeah. a $90,000 regimen over 12 weeks. And uh, some of the pharma companies are, are very concerned about these pricing, and the, certainly the third-party payer is very concerned, making sure that if someone's going to take this regimen, that they're taking the whole regimen, because when they're done, they're cured. But if they don't, don't do it right, it's a real problem. Um, we know of at least one payer who is now uh, looking very carefully at their patients after 30 days. And if they're not complying, then they're not going to get the drug anymore. How are they evaluating that yeah, based on how much is left? Yeah, this is this is the, the issue: is how do you evaluate it? Uh, you know, certainly they can do some testing and and some other things, um, but knowing every day that this patient has act- accessed this med and that they're taking it like they're supposed to is very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there, there's another marketplace that's very interesting. For yeah, us. not to not to speaking just cliches, but this is really kind of a final frontier area. Uh, that uh, trying to improve the way in which people behave with their medications is a behavioral issue. It's like trying to get someone to buckle their safety belt or to quit smoking. And so this is a major, major area. And we're not the only company focused on this. Uh, today, in these clinical trials, they have people calling people to remind them to take their medications. They have people going to their homes to remind them to take their medications. We are just putting technology in that space 
with the same ambition, which is to improve the adherence. And I think when you improve the adherence, you save a lot of time, cost, and money, and you improve health care. Right now, you guys are focused on pills. Um, is there any movement towards liquid? Uh, not at this point. We've got plenty to chew on. <laughs> not Literally. No, no pun intended. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So I know that we're in the early stages where we've got prototypes. Uh, how long do you see before you are at the place where you're starting to go ahead and, and get it involved in the hands of those clinical trials out there? Yeah, so um, we have a, a proof-of-concept product that we've been working with for about four or five months. Our engineers are now reducing the size of that product down to a pocket size dispenser. And uh, our intention is to have the, the first of those in November for a trial that's already scheduled uh, at a major uh, university. Do you have an idea of what the horizon is for you, how long you want to try to stay in this space before you then look to expand it maybe into that uh, the other markets like you talked about, those self-pay medications or perhaps into that kind of the narcotics dispensary kind of thing for the patients that are needing to use those types of medications? Yeah, so, so we, have, uh, we anticipate for 2016 that we're going to keep our, our focus narrowed. And then uh, in 2017, we think that's a good time for us to branch out and start looking at these other marketplaces. It would seem like when you're talking about those uh, medications that are aimed at like the hepatitis C and, and those types of medications that, you, as you talked about, the third-party payers have a real reason why they would want to invest in that kind of technology in that particular situation since they're investing so much money in the, the treatment itself. Exactly. And, and the, uh, the specialty pharma companies have a real interest in this as well. Uh, they're delivering a very expensive drug, and they, in, in many cases, they are required to give some information, or sometimes behavioral information, about what their patients are doing. Uh, they'll have staffs of people, as Sam explained, calling up patients to make sure they're taking drugs. Well, this is just a, an automated version, and uh, so we think it's, it's, it's an easy transition for them. You know, in, in, the, in the readmissions uh, um, problem that hospitals face, it's about a $41 billion problem. And a good percent of those readmissions are due to people simply not taking their medications. So we think we can be helpful there. Um, I like to think that our device is the high-tech side of it. I don't think it removes the high-touch side. I do think people do need to be reached out to. They do need, need to be educated. They do need to be walked through their regimens. But we think our device makes that easier. So where's the point of entry? Like when, when, from whom am I going to get this device from? Is it going to be my doctor? Is it going to be my pharmacist? Kind of explain that process. Yeah, so it, it depends on the marketplace for the uh, clinical trial the clinical trial organization, or CRO, is going to be managing this. They're going to be uh, giving the, the device with the, the medication in it to the actual uh, subject that's involved in the, in the trial. Uh, in the case of specialty pharma, uh, they fill prescriptions every day. They would be the ones that the, their pharmacist would program the device and would um, give that or send that to their, to their patients. And then I would pick it up from my my pharmacist, right? And then who would walk me through how it works and uh, like how to hook it up to my cell phone? Have you guys thought through that process? Yes. Yeah, so uh, depending on, again, which, which type of market this is, uh, specialty pharma, uh, the, the de delivery of the device can either be from the pharmacist themselves or it can actually be mail ordered and, and sent to the patient and uh, set up so that the fingerprint scan 
can be the first person that puts their fingerprint on there. Dan, I think you're asking an important question. It's about how we behave. And uh, what we're seeing is that increasingly people expect technology to behave like they want it to behave. Mm -hmm. It's lack of it. It's called intuition. And so today when a cell phone comes, it only has one instruction, turn it on. I think we're going to be simple. I think we will mirror the behavior that people have around phones and smart devices. So I think we fit into that category of learning for people. (laughs) So if my son opens up my device and uh, puts his finger in it, he's going to be the one that's going to have to basically get my medication from then on? Or how does that change? If a mistake is made, how does that get rejiggered? Well, it's a good question. I don't think we've gotten that deep yet. Certainly <laughs> well, don't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you, if you think about the problem today, any any of us have at home a, a, a vial of medications that that you just open the top and everything's accessible. So, in terms of children and accessibility drugs, we change that uh, dynamic considerably. Yeah, you do. I mean, and walk us through it again for the the benefit of the listeners who aren't here and haven't had the chance to play with it like I have. Kind of walk us through, describe what it is and and what it looks like. And I know it's a prototype, but what eventually, what's the dream here that it's going to look like and how is it going to work? Uh, we've designed TAD with the idea that people would be proud to have one, that it would not look like a machine that's somehow associated with medications or any kind of problem. It's elegant. It looks like a phone. The pills are inside the device. It operates uh, with your smart device, whether that's a, an Apple phone or a Samsung device. It communicates in an app, just like the apps you use for Delta or the apps you might use to around me to look for something. So it has all that kind of familiarity. Uh, once it is, once it is uh, assigned to you via this biometric through your fingerprint, the device then connects with your cell phone and it's seamless from that point forward. All of the device from your phone is collected into the cloud database. It's stripped, by the way, of sensitive information, and it, be, it can be managed from there. So just think about it as a very, it's a smart, just like CW said, it's a smart programmable dispenser of prescription medications that connects into the universe that people work in today. And as far as like what shows up on my phone, I mean, what, what messages and what, what information am I going to see on my phone? Yeah, so you'll, you'll see uh, the time you took your last pill, the time you take your next pill, you'll see your adherence score, and you'll see a benchmark against other people taking same types of types of medication. So it'll tell you you're a loser if if you are one. Yeah, if you're not conforming, yeah, you know, you didn't do your ten thousand steps. Competitive on, pill taking, yeah. I like That's that. That's right, gamification. Yeah. <laughs> it is gamification, and it is we can use emoticons and things of that sort to to inspire people. Again, it's all back to this basic idea that. Up until the last decade or so, we've been given pills at the counter in a vial and said, good luck, take them as directed. That's all changed. And the reason it's changed is because the cost of non-adherence, of not taking your medications, has become so obvious that now adherence is a big part of the medical industry going forward. We're in that space. We're, We're using technology to improve the way people take medications. Yeah, we're just a step or two away from the home Pixis, if you will. That's right. The Pixis being the device in the hospital where the nursing staff can go and punch in a particular code and access those controlled medications and and items to control inventory and things like that. It sounds like it won't be too far out that we'll actually have devices like this that are capable of handling a regimen of medications. In this case, we're talking about a single medication Mm -hmm. dispenser, but it, it sounds like it'll be possible to have something that actually almost acts like a med safe that is biometrically controlled 
That's right. And those devices, uh, some of them are on the market today. Um, we've tried to position TAD as, a, as something, as I said earlier, that people would like to have. So it doesn't look like something you would see in a nurse's station. It doesn't have right. all kinds of medical symbology on it. It's a clean, consumer-looking device that performs a function that you used to associate with medicine. Yes, my um, in-laws kept, keep getting older and older. The pill bottle that they take, that little, you know, the S, M, T, W, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. So, I mean, it would be nice if it could actually have, they, it could be loaded with all of the medications they take, and then it, it beeps every time that they have to take something. Because that is, my mother-in-law, it's a constant for her on keeping track of who's taking what when. Is that kind of the, where you guys are going with this? Well, uh, or am I giving you good ideas here? <laughs> uh, well, uh, potentially, um, you know, the direction that we're taking is more of a personalized device. There is polypharma. That's what that's known as. And uh, even polypharma for the home. Uh, it's not the direction that we're headed right now. Uh, we're, we're more on the single device, or sorry, single pill delivery, and then maybe in the future, multi-pill delivery. Now, one of the things, Sam, as we were talking before we went on the show today, is one of the technological challenges that you face is, as we discussed particularly in generic medications, um, I mentioned Simvastatin, some of them are small oval medications or pills, and then some of them for the same dose are around, you know, aspirin-looking medications. So for you to be able to have the device grab or, you know, allow one of those or however many it's supposed to dispense at a given moment, that was something that had to be a little challenging for you to overcome because you're going to be facing that as you as you move forward. How do you, how do you tackle that? Yeah, so, so our engineers uh, have been looking at it from the perspective of what other things out there are problematic with different types of si- uh, different sizes of, of, uh, and shapes. Uh, one of the things we looked at was peanuts in the shell and trying to sort those. It's not the easiest thing in the world. and sounds easy, but it's not. So uh, we've been looking at other technologies and how other people are doing this, and then that's, that's really where our technology and our patents are wrapped around. It's, it's how to manage one pill at a time. And so we have uh, technology that we've worked on that will grab that single pill and deliver it every time. Regardless of its shape? Uh, there's a few tweaks we do in, inside the device itself so that it doesn't matter what the shape or, or size is. We can grab a single pill at a time. And is it limited by, because, I mean, some of the medications you end up taking are, as we like to say at the house, horse pills. Um, they're, they can be very, very large. And then, of course, on the other end of the spectrum, if you look at, like, the baby aspirin, mm-hmm. it's very, very small. So, I mean, how do you, how are, are you able to accommodate that? Is it going to be... The device that you're shipping going to be have to kind of be directed against what medication regimen we're we're taking on. Yeah, so so we make some modifications to uh-huh. the the interior of how we manage from pill to pill, uh, but it's very easy to do, and uh, it, it's uh, uh, part of that workflow that we talked about in the pharmacist. So today, as we're going to be doing a trial on XYZ medication, we get specs on what the tablets that we're working with. That's correct. Are. Okay. And so that lets you customize it. And since you're going to be there for a period of time, then that right. makes there's, sense. There's, a, there's uniformity in the clinical trial space related to the size of pills. There's a reason for that. So that makes that market entry a little easier for us. When you get to the specialty, medic, uh, specialty pharma uh, market, uh, also the, the pills that will be most suitable for us are also in a uniform size. 
Interesting. So where are you? I mean, do you have a customer yet or a beta customer yet? Or are you still looking for funding? Where are you in the process? We really spent uh, our time this year doing three or four things. One was raising the sufficient capital for the company. Two was developing the prototype that we now have. And three was in our market discovery. So for the last six months, we've been uh, on the road talking with clinical directors, medical directors, doctors, um, pharmacists, uh, anyone who would uh, take an interest, including the NIH, about what our plans were and, and soliciting feedback. So we have gotten that feedback. We've integrated it. And as Lou said earlier, our first commercial production comes out in mid-November. And we will have a trial in uh, at a leading university that we've identified uh, scheduled for this year. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. So for the Intent Solutions device, where do you sit right now with regards to collaborations? Obviously, you've got to be identifying more partners in the research space in pharma that are trialing medications, or at least studies that are using medication as a key component of yes. the study. Um, beyond that type of partnership, are there other resources that you're looking for? I mean, funding, I guess, continues to be one, but what are partners or collaborations, things like that, that would help you scale the, the device or move your project there along? Are, there are many. I mentioned a moment ago the adherence problem with hospital readmissions. Uh, hospitals now are rewarded and also they're penalized for readmissions within a 30-day period. So we believe our device has a big role to play there. So for example, if you can just get someone that's on a 30-day regimen of a prescription to take those pills as prescribed over that 30-day period, you reduce the probability that they're coming back to your hospital. Every hospital readmission costs $10,000 at a minimum. So we think that uh, that market will be of interest to us. We think partnerships uh, with uh, affordable, uh, any of the larger uh, medical providers would be a good idea. And and we think that uh, the economics are very clear there. Is this device gonna need FDA approval? No. It's a class one device. So we, we of, of course, will follow GMPs, but uh, we don't have to go through an approval process. That's good. Yes. <laughs> Intent Solutions is the website. Any other places they can go to get information about the, the device that you're talking about? Uh, all of our information is on our website, and that will be growing over time. Uh, we are appearing here and there at conferences uh, on medical devices and the industry. Uh, and conferences related to uh, prescription adherence. So we're out in the marketplace, but you can find information at intentsolutions.com. Cool. Now, Lou, you were you know you were the 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 kind of the common denominator between both infant and intent solutions. So introduce us to the infant solution that we're going to be talking about today as well. Yeah. So so there are some parallels here. Uh, they're both Internet of Things type devices. Uh, the 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 uh, similarities kind of end there. Um, <laughs> the Enfant device is a, is a niche market product for very specialized area, and that is the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit. Uh, there's a great deal of problems with uh, babies in the NICU. We know that they have health problems just because they were born generally prematurely. Um, they're not as fully developed as other babies. But uh, one of the areas that they have uh, tremendous issues with is feeding and uh, gaining weight. Uh, three of the five criteria for going home from the hospital are directly related to uh, being able to, to, to feed, feed properly, hold the food down, gain weight. So uh, we have been uh, developing a new product around the ability to measure 
babies and how they feed. Uh, something very unique, never done before, and done with an Internet of Things type uh, device. So again, a, a device with a sensor in it that is sending data to a, uh, a smart device and then on to a database in the cloud. Before we have you describe the device and how it works and the technology works, I'd love to hear how this came to be. I mean, you both are men, so this isn't yeah. necessarily, you know, something that you're <laughs> lying awake worrying about. So, Tommy, how, how in the world did this come about? I studied at the University of Kentucky. I was working on my Ph.D. and helping clinicians uh, develop some of the devices that were in their head. They just didn't know how to, uh, to build them or, or study them. And a professor up there, Dr. Gilson Capaluto, came to me and she said, I, I'm trying to develop a, a bottle or a pacifier that can measure the strength of the tongue. I didn't know too much about infant feeding at the time. And uh, uh, within a weekend, I'd kind of worked something up and I gave it to her and she went and studied it. And uh, she published a clinical trial of that what she was looking at. It looks like it, it might be true. And that preterm infants uh, have weaker tongues and uncoordinated tongues compared to a more healthier infant. So I, I kind of was uh, debating on what I wanted to do for my career, and uh, I went and watched a baby try to feed in the NICU, and I said, okay. And within a month, I had quit my job. I had gotten engaged to be married and <laughs> bought a house. And, <laughs> and she's still married you? Hey, yeah. honey, we're going to do this. <laughs> I said, uh, I've been thinking about this, and she goes, well, you have to do what you need to do. So uh, within a month, I had started the company because I, I thought this dog could hunt and that there was a product and a need for this. Uh, I didn't know how hard it was going to be to uh, take a company from scratch, but we were lucky to um, be very accelerated compared to other medical device companies. So historically, how has the strength of the tongue been measured? Just kind of take us through that historical and why there was even something for you to study in the first place. So with adults, uh, if you say you have a stroke or if you undergo a surgery, what they'll do is uh, they'll put a tube uh, so you can feed in the hospital. Just with two to three days of, of feeding from a tube, the adult, ha they have to bring in uh, specialists to uh, relearn how to swallow and to talk. The, the tongue atrophies or it becomes weaker from not uh, having been used. Now, you look at the other end of the spectrum uh, with infants, there was absolutely no device um, to look at the tongue. So the first thing that is done in the hospital is they'll put a tube uh, down the baby's throat so they know that they can get calories in because the, the goal is to grow. Well, what happens to that tongue? It just sits there, sometimes weeks on end. So now it's time to start feeding. They can't work their tongue. So the only, I, I, I couldn't even make this up. I didn't know this at the time, but the only device out there to measure the strength of the tongue uh, before feeding an infant is a, a doctor will stick their finger yeah, in the baby's that's what mouth. I was thinking you just had to get a, you know, see how hard they're, they're tugging on it or if they are. Yeah, and say, okay, yeah, I think, I think they're good to go. So <laughs> I, I thought that we could do a little better there, and uh, I think we've come up with something that, that just might work. All right, so tell us what you've come up with. Kind of take us through the technology, and, and, and this doesn't look any different. That's this little thing that's sitting in front of us than anything that I use to feed my kids. So kind of explain what this is. So what we've done is basically take any normal bottle nipple, any normal bottle that you'd use in the hospital, and and make it smart. So we took a dumb medical device and we made it smart. So we have a disposable uh, coupling that goes between any bottle and any nipple. 
Um, in the NICU, you don't really want to be rewashing anything. Uh, very sensitive, fragile infants. Um, you dispose of that after every feeding. Uh, that's the only thing ever in contact with uh, breast milk or, or formula. And then we have our, our electronics. That's where the magic happens. So we have a lot of sensors packed into a very small place, and uh, and we track information about how how that infant is feeding. We relay that to a mobile device, and you can have instant biofeedback at bedside on how that baby is feeding. So the clinician can make split-second decisions on on what they should do with that infant, how they're holding the baby, is it affecting how they're moving their tongue, are they swallowing, are they breathing? We're looking at that while they're feeding. Um, but that's not where it stops. After the feeding, that information, amongst a few other uh, parameters that we collect from the nurse or the clinician about that baby is sent to the cloud. That's where we can start churning information. So I like to say that every time the infant uses device, they're getting stronger and stronger, but our logarithms are getting stronger and stronger. So we can hopefully start predicting and categorizing those infants on defining what's a better optimal care path for that particular infant. So what kinds of things are you actually measuring? I mean, you said, I mean, and how does it correlate to how, how well or when they can go home or their, how much weight they're, I mean, what are you actually measuring and how does it correlate? So uh, with with the particular device, uh, we're measuring a few things. The, the major aspect of what we're measuring is how that nipple's moving in the mouth. So it's kind of like a window into how that tongue is moving. So then when an infant feeds, they, they squeeze the nipple and then they pull back the, the fluid with their tongue. And that creates a, a negative pressure and it sucks the uh, fluid out of the nipple and then they swallow. If they don't suck hard enough, it doesn't trigger the reflex. So that fluid will just pool in the mouth. So when they go to swallow and their tongue isn't strong enough to block their airway, they're essentially drowning on their own fluid. So we're actually measuring how hard they're pressing that nipple, how fast they're pulling it back, what's the coordination pattern of the tongue when they're trying to do that, and displaying it for the clinicians uh, in real time. And then there's some other parameters we capture that we kind of turn the data in the background to give it some context. We're talking to co-founder of Infant Feeding Solution, uh, Tommy Cunningham. He's describing the fact that in the NICU, the neonatal ICU unit, those babies, uh, particularly the very young ones, um, have a difficult time actually being able to move the the milk that they're feeding or the feeding solution that they're that they're taking in actually back to the back of their mouth and may not be able to effectively occlude their airway, and so they can they can essentially get pneumonia and aspirate pneumonia by entraining some of that fluid into their lungs. And then, of course, obviously, um, may not even be really effectively swallowing it either. So they're not getting the calories that they need. So then that lets the clinician then slow the pace down or reposition, as you're talking about, and make sure that they're not actually going to then breathe it versus swallow it. Yeah, I think it's uh, we're delivering objective data in real time. So uh, the clinicians are trained. They're looking for a lot of things. Um, but this is another tool that they can use to make those split-second decisions. Because when an infant does breathe in the fluid and they aspirate, they'll turn blue. There's a, a bradycardia event. It's some serious issues. So can we start avoiding those? Because what happens when an infant tries to feed, they just don't choke up and then everything's okay. If, if you're trying to feed and then you drown, um, do that two or three times. You don't want to feed anymore. So now you're relating those stress cues of feeding uh, to the food you're trying to take. 
So all bets are off. And that's when you're delayed two to 49 days in the hospital. How frequently is that event happening where somebody is, you know, the baby is having that kind of event occur? So you, we see complications in transitioning infant to bottle or breastfeeding up to 70% of all infants wow. in the NICU. Hmm. And those delays range, I think I just mentioned, two to 49 days per infant. So if we can just avoid some of the complications associated with feeding by just having a more standardized approach to feeding, objective information while they're feeding, we can avoid those aversions to feeding and hopefully get the infant out of the hospital faster. I I worked in the hospital in the cardiovascular intensive care unit, so the, the patients that I was seeing were all adults, but uh, many of them were stroke patients, and I knew that they would end up working with uh, the nutritionists and folks like that that, that were doing swallowing uh, effectiveness and stuff, but I didn't have any idea until we were talking to you just now that you can actually lose coordination, if you will, of your tongue just because you're not especially not so young it. Yeah. since it should, I mean, you're born with it that. It seems like it would be innate, but I guess it's not. Yeah, and that's Kind of when I looked at the project, it's stuff has to be simple for me to understand it. <laughs> that's for sure. And uh, the tongue's a muscle. And just like how you go to the gym and lift weights and you're doing a bicep curl, the tongue's doing similar things. So uh, if it becomes more of a strength and conditioning issue, a coordination issue, okay, that makes sense to me. You know, let's not try to lift weights and drown them at the same time okay, I think they can get better by just having a safer and more efficient environment to feed. And that's kind of where infant steps in. Do, the, do you find that using this data that things like position changes or maybe strategic pauses in the process, I mean, is that able to then to let the coordinate that a little bit more so that they become stronger, I guess, is, is what we're talking about, that, that lets the, the provider try to do something that would inspire the desired action on the on the part of the neonate? Yeah, I think that's the goal is if you walk into any given hospital, um, they have their way or their system on how to feed the infant. And some work better than others or some work better for that system than other systems. So we capture all that information, the position of the baby, who is feeding the baby, the, the mom will feed the baby uh, in a lot of instances with our device. And there's a lot of factors, the ones you mentioned amongst many others, that say, okay, this person was doing this, this is how they fed this time, then this was the nipple they were using. We collect all those factors. So then when we churn that data and we have enough infants for a certain um, type of scenario or construct, we can relay that information back to that clinical site and say, okay, this is what has been working, this is what has not been working. And that's where you see improvements in refining that that clinical pathway for that particular infant it's interesting that you can actually i mean i didn't actually realize you could you're using different nipples because i know that the sensor is in that particular nipple so you know if the goal is to collect this data and see what is having the 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 highest effect or how they're feeding the best where does breastfeeding fit into this so the goal is always to, to get the infant to breastfeeding. When you're in the neonatal intensive care unit, that's not always possible. And there's some other factors uh, with, the, with the mom that they might not produce enough milk. But basically, the, the bottle is a standard um, product that you can use to ensure that that infant is, is feeding the same way every time. Uh, we can use the device with breast milk. So 
the uh, just like they normally would in the hospital. And that stuff is liquid gold. You want to be using that as much as you can. And you can use that, uh, you know, with our bottle. Uh, same with formula. But the goal is always to transition them to the breast home and, and to breastfeeding. Well, one of the criticisms of bottle feeding before breastfeeding is that bottle feeding is so much easier than breastfeeding, you know, because the pull, I mean, it just minimal effort to actually have the milk come out of the nipple on a bottle as opposed to a breast. So is there some restriction or as the baby gets healthier, are you kind of then ratcheting back where they actually have to pull a little bit harder. How is that working, or is that even in the thought process? It's lots of thoughts going around up, up in my head, but uh, it, it's actually uh, counterintuitive. Breastfeeding is really hard to do. It's it's very difficult. So um, bottle feeding is actually a little easier in the hospital, but there are downsides to bottle feeding. One, you know, you want to uh, bond with the infant. That's that's a huge issue. So that's one reason why. This is designed to have the moms feed the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with bottles, we, we found that a lot of the, um, the actual nipples that we use are a standard issue in the hospital. There's a lot of issues with those. Those are difficult. There are a lot of different. Which one do you use? Um, it really boils down to a few things, but controlling flow uh, for the infant is a huge issue. And uh, we haven't necessarily been satisfied with what we've seen on the market for uh, regulating that flow and standardizing the feeding process with the bottle and make it a little easier than it uh, than it is now that yeah. it should be. And was it, uh, you know, again, because you're a scientist coming at this, was there a reason you chose that type of nipple, which for the benefit of the listeners is the one that stands straight up as opposed to like the nook nipple, which is more of a flattened, more, um, and they claim it's more like a, a breast. I mean, is there a reason you chose that type as opposed to the nook? About 80% of the market uses these nipples. So we designed for what could simply go into the workflow of your standard hospital. There's other commercial nipples, the, the Nook being one, uh, that are used. Uh, one day we'll probably get there. Um, but and we, we wanted to focus on, you know, we wanted to help out as many infants as we possibly could in the shortest amount of time. So we designed around kind of what was out there. And it's not a, it's not so much the nipple itself that is making the difference on this particular device. It's that little, what you call the stick? The, the cantilever. Yeah, the cantilever <laughs> that measures the up and down motion, I guess, that's sitting inside the nipple. So as long as it's not too long for whatever nipple is being used, then you're okay. Right? Yeah, one thing about the product is... Everything is non-invasive. It is just like you're, you're feeding normally. And that's when people take the device apart or the first time a nurse will see it, they'll, they'll look in the nipple and say, how are you even doing this? Well, we don't, <laughs> we don't have anything in the nipple out of this. So we're, re- right. we're measuring all this remotely. Yeah. And we came up with a, a pretty simple, I'm a little partial, but a little simple uh, way of, of doing that. And that is, and that, so it can fit on basically just any nipple out there. Now, your, your customer, I guess, is then going to be the neonatal ICUs. The, the hospital is going to be your client. It sounds like more so than consumer. Is that, is that where your customer yeah, that, lies? That, that's, we're, we're focused on the NICU right now. Um, these babies are at very high risk. They're the weakest, smallest humans on the planet. Um, there's other... Uh, opportunities out there. Uh, There's a large number of babies that go home and then return to the pediatric ICU for uh, an issue called failure to thrive. Essentially, they go home, 
they don't feed well, they start to lose weight, mm -hmm. they have to return to the hospital. We see this device for them as well. Um, we're just trying to focus on one marketplace at a time. NICUs is a relatively easy market to focus on in that there's only 1,100 NICUs in the entire U.S. So it's a finite number, mm -hmm. relatively easy to get your arms around. Uh, that's where we'll start. And that doesn't sound like a very big market to make as, as expensive as this product is to develop and bring to market. That's not a very big market for you to go after initially. So what, what plans do you have to well, expand that? Yeah, so when you say not a big market, there, there's uh, 550,000 roughly. That's how many babies go into the NICU. Yeah, I was going to say, year. in Springfield where small. I was, they had 75 babies in the NICU at one time. So, yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. it's about 12% of the population is landing in the NICU. So it's it's not small. And the cost in the NICU is is extraordinary. Um, $5,000 a day or more uh, stays average about 13 days. So you can see that $50,000 drop is, is not unusual. That's, that's a lot of money going out the door. So what we want to try to do is to, to help these babies get stronger, faster, and hopefully be uh, discharged earlier. In the work that you guys have done in the NICUs, and, uh, to, and we'll get to the FDA approval in a little bit, but what has surprised you about the data that you've collected thus far? Tommy? Probably that it looks so good right off the bat. I was I was very, very relieved when I when I started seeing the data come back from our, our clinical trials, and uh, um, it, it it's clear we're we're getting data that clinicians that recognize they can see what's going on, they can use their clinical training, and now relate objective data live on what's going on. Uh, that I think we're going to find a lot of interesting things that are going to help a lot of infants here pretty soon. And what's your kind of your supposition that what are the things you're going to find? I think uh, I, I try to take a step back and, and I look at it from a big picture is, you know, within just a few months, we'll have the largest database ever created for infant feeding. What's taken researchers 30 years to do um, by harnessing the smart technology, uh, we can we can develop strong databases. So I don't know exactly what we'll find. If, uh, if it just boils down to how you position or hold an infant, that's okay by me. So we're collecting a lot of information um, that we can just relay back. We'll, we'll find out what, what works or what doesn't, uh, just so the clinicians can fine-tune what they're doing. Um, as far as like holding the baby, I don't, how does that device actually measure where it's being held, or is that actually self-reported? Just like uh, if, if you have a Fitbit, I think we are using Fitbit as a great example, is there's, there's been a lot of uh, products on the periphery of, of medical. They're not medical devices, a lot of wearable technologies. Uh, they're kind of scared of the medical device market. Um, I don't know if we were just a little, I was too naive to uh, uh, just jump head into the medical device and wearables, but we have a lot of technology in there, accelerometers, how you track uh, the position of the bottle. Uh, we know exactly how that, that bottle's being held uh, while they're being used. So there's techniques that, that clinicians use. Uh, the common term is pacing. So if an infant's drinking too much fluid, they'll pull the, the bottle back and, and wait for the infant to, to catch up or breathe. Uh, we track all that information. Uh, so if, if there is something to make sense out of, uh, we can look at that in the future. So it's almost like back. using your heart rate to moderate your your training because your perception of the intensity may not maybe one thing, but your heart rate, which is the ultimate 
monitor of it right. is selling saying something else. So if you have a top expert in in feeding, how does the you know the people that they're teaching learn the best? And so if we can standardize how to best feed an infant or best position or the techniques they're using. This is um, as much of a learning tool as it is uh, a, a data collection tool. Or even tool. how often, too, right? How often is, is a big deal. There, there's And how much? How much, how often, um, who's doing the feeding, what technique did they use. There's a lot of parameters that surround feeding that we're going to be able to make some sense out of. So... Um, talk to me a little bit about the process of FDA approval. First of all, does this need FDA approval? And talk to me about that process. Yeah, it's a, it's a class two device, um, recently cleared. Uh, we filed our 510K back in December of last year and uh, went through uh, several rounds of questioning. Uh, it was, uh, I would call it a, probably a little faster than most products. Uh, however, uh, we collected a lot of data, and we had to do a lot of uh, of, of uh, new work in that we, we believe this to be the first Internet of Things device to be used in the NICU. And so uh, pediatrics are already can be a, a difficult product to get cleared. But then on top of that, when you have a technology that nobody else is using, um, it, it caused us a lot of uh, extra work. Let's all call it that. <laughs> so did you have to make any changes to the device? No, we didn't. We just had to uh, go much more in-depth in, in testing than we had first anticipated. Uh, we were luckily able to, to uh, produce all good test results and get those back in the hands of the, of the FDA. I think part of, the, of the, uh, the benefit of the product is that it really has no uh, – it, it doesn't interfere with the baby's feeding, and none of the, of the, the parts have any uh, type of, of risk involved to them. All the materials are essentially the same materials that are going into the bottle and the nipple. So that, I think, helped us. But all the electronic side of it was uh, was quite a hurdle. I hope we have actually a picture of it. I know people will go to your website, but I hope on the yeah, internet. I think Jay the... may have tweeted one out, okay. actually. So you can go to HealthCon Radio uh, to the Twitter feed and actually see the device uh, in there in between the bottle and the, the nipple, basically, is what you're looking at for the device itself. Is if you look at it, you won't necessarily you'll be like what what yeah, is it what's yeah what's the what's the big <laughs> you, deal you might here? think you're going to see some kind of crazy wires and lights and everything on well, there but and, actually and not. Lou, take it apart and just show okay and if you could actually tweet that out as as well jay that would be really helpful because it really does look like i mean it's it's so simple um it's remarkable how simple it is and they're really if you didn't open it up like that you would have no idea any difference in a, a bottle that's used in the NICU yeah there's a lot going on inside that device that uh, that you would not anticipate I've never talked about breastfeeding with men before so this is fun you guys <laughs> yeah it's it's five five guys and, and a lady yeah, talking about yeah. breastfeeding um, so with a couple of minutes to go, you've been out a couple of years, uh, started the product uh, in its development a couple of years ago. And, and so where, well, where do you where do you stand now? Well, I think uh, it's worth mentioning in that um, we were able to, to do that because we had fantastic people working for us, just absolute wizards on on each aspect of the product and being able to manage that to go from zero dollars in the bank to FDA clearance in 18 months. And so there, we were wearing a lot of hats where I think the average, Lou would know this better than I, yeah. the average for a three class to five two, years, you know, yeah. three to five years and several million dollars. We were able to, 
to work through this and get FDA cleared and, and we're going to market now. So um, there was a lot of hard work uh, for a lot of people involved. And uh, we were just lucky to, to recruit the talent uh, to, to make that happen. So now, you know, we patted ourselves on the back and I think now it's time to, to get out there, expand our clinical trials. And um, um, we're going to be introduced into a few hospitals here in the, in the near future. That's yeah, right. I mean, I was going to ask, what does go-to-market mean for you all? Yeah, so um, we are uh, zeroing in on hospitals that are early adopters. Uh, that's That'll be the easiest place of entry. And uh, we've got a lot of interest around the hospitals that we've already talked to. They, they want to bring this device in. They want to start collecting data. It, it's very intuitive when you when you see the app working. It doesn't take long to figure out the connection between what's going on inside that baby's mouth and what's being displayed on the screen. So it's it's one of those things that if you can get it in their hands, they get it very quickly. So um, that's our, our next step. Um, we are, are scaling up right now. We're anticipating a, a Series B round coming up in um, late Q4, early Q1, and then we're ready to, to blow this thing out. So how much does this cost? Yeah, so the average cost for a an infant is somewhere in the range of about seven hundred and fifty dollars uh, during their entire stay in the hospital, and that's all the the devices, the the disposables, and the data collection. And does this come in a box, or I mean, how does it actually arrive to me? Yeah, so the the uh, elect electronic portion uh, comes into a, in a in a box. It's assigned one to a patient. And so that follows that patient because that's how we track the data through the databases, through the serialization of that of the electronics. The uh, the, the coupling, that's the disposable comp component. It are, uh, they come in a box of 25, and so one per feeding. And then of course there's the app that we deliver to the uh, the hospital and the database in the in the in the cloud. You know, when I was uh, had my children, um, I was I was in a teaching hospital, so there were multiple people that came in to talk to me with each child about different studies that were going on. Um, the introduction of this device to the parent, when would that happen? And in the trials that you're doing, has there been any pushback from the parents? You know, that's it's it's interesting you should ask that. Um, it's kind of one of the things that pushed me really over the edge is um, we have some video that we've taken at uh, one of our trials in which the mother is feeding the baby and the mother is learning how to position the bottle and how to look for the cues. I mean, these are not mm -hmm. even professionals. So it, it tells me how understanding and just looking at that curves, it, the curves are so intuitive. And so I think the parents would be very pleased with the idea that they can pick up these cues and that they can see this working on the screen and that they can learn how to feed their baby when that baby goes home. But any, no pushback at all? We haven't heard any, no. That's, that's amazing. Absolutely that's awesome. Not. Tell people where they can go to get more information about Infant Solutions. Yeah, you can go to Infant.com, N-F-A-N-T. N-F-A-N-T. And if you haven't done so already, get over to the iTunes store under the Health Connect South radio show podcast. Subscribe to us there so you can stay in touch with all these cool experts that we're bringing to you. If you've not done so uh, yet, get over to Sherwick Media at Sherwick.com. Thanks to Lou Malice and Sam Zamaripa and Tommy Cunningham for joining us in the studio today. And for the folks who made us a part of your day, we really appreciate you. We hope you turn around and share this information because you might just put it into the hands 
hands of somebody that it can actually become the next great partner that helps these two cool solutions uh, reach their end market uh, that much faster and help those people uh, achieve those great outcomes on that much quicker of a pace. So to everybody here, we really want to say thank you so much to the folks at Health Connect South. Thanks a lot. And uh, everybody out there, we'll see you same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.